Dear Lord, thank you that you are such a wonderful God who has lo- and you've loved us with an amazing love and blessed us with every blessing in Christ. Thank you for lavishing this love and grace on us. Thank you for your word that tells us all about that, tells us of your wonderful plan of salvation in Christ uh, unfolding through the ages. We pray that as we read it now and as uh, we have it explained that you will uh, cause its truths to penetrate us, uh, our hearts, and change us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll find today's reading, 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21, in your Bibles, and uh, it's marked by a bookmark to make it easy for you to find. This is a wonderful chapter. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. 
Our gracious God, please, Father, this morning by your spirit, we, we pray that you will use uh, all that we are about to do. You please use and speak through my fumbling words, uh, speak through our own distractions, our distracted minds, speak even through our own, the hardness that is in our own hearts towards you and your word. Please soften us. Um, Father, we, think, we pray particularly this morning as we think about our life together under your word as those who you have loved so wonderfully. Lord, we pray, we pray, Father, that our church will be one in which your love overflows as we love each other deeply. And we do pray that for your glory and for the building up of your kingdom and for the advancement of the name of the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, growing up, I don't know if uh, you sort of enjoyed the Snoopy comics, but I used to love reading the Snoopy. This is a bit small, sorry. Uh, I couldn't uh, zoom. You, you might not be able to make it out. Uh, but maybe you, you're probably familiar with the Peanuts comics, right? Snoopy and Char good old Charlie Brown. Uh, and central to the plot of you know, these ongoing cartoons is this tension between Charlie Brown and Lucy Van Pelt, right? If you remember Lucy Van Pelt, uh, it's, you know, sort of the classic uh, tension between the two. She, Lucy asks, can I put my hand of in your glass of milk? And Charlie says, keep your dirty hands out of my glass of milk. I've never heard anything so silly. Splash, splash, splash. Hey, my hands aren't dirty anymore. Uh, uh, or here we go, this is classic again. This is an ongoing sort of uh, joke in the Snoopy comics where Charlie Brown tries to kick the football that Lucy's holding and she, again and again she lifts it up just when he's about to kick it and he sort of flops down on the gr ground. He says, no, absolutely not. You must think I'm crazy. You say you'll hold the ball, but you won't. You'll pull away and you'll break my neck. Why, Charlie Brown, how you talk? I wouldn't think of such a thing. I'm a changed person. Look, isn't this a face you can trust? All right, you hold the ball and I'll come running up and kick it. She did it again! Wump. I admire you, Charlie Brown. You have such faith in human nature. <laughs> well, it's a bit of fun. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of fun. But uh, uh, life with other people, and this is sort of something you know I learned from reading Charlie Brown comics, life with other people can be hard work, right? You come up, you know, you come up against another will, another another person with their own agendas, uh, another person who uh, has their own set of assumptions and that often clash with your own. Do I need to change mics? Let me know if I need to change mics and I'll just switch it. But life, life together with other people can be, you know, can be a little hard, it can be very hard work. And at its most extreme, um, oh, I'll go back, uh, at its most extreme, um, uh, there's a famous line in, a, in a, fr a play, a French play, so you probably haven't read it. Uh, there's a famous line in a French play that one of the characters says uh, at the end of this thing, and um, he says, hell is other people. Hell is other people. I mean, that's the most extreme of the Charlie Brown, Lucy Van Pelt tension and clash, right? And this tension between two different wills who just you know, spark off each other and 
you know, you have, you, you're, naturally you have your own ideas, you have your own, and there's another per the, the other people in your life, they, and what this play is getting at, the, the, that other people, they impinge on your freedom, your freedom to do what you want. They do, they do. They, they are a force in your life that stops you from just doing entirely what you want, unrestrained by any other consideration. Well, I wonder if you've ever felt just like you want to be free from the responsibilities and constraints that other people place on you, um, free from the judgments that other people make on you, uh, free from the pain that relationships involve, free from the disappointments, the grief, the way others hurt you, and even the way you hurt others. Living with others can be a dangerous thing, can't it? A painful thing. And, well, it can be the same, so I'm told. It can, even this can trickle into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, can't it? In some ways, friends, well, we've been looking at the last few weeks about what the church is, what the church is. Uh, the body of Christ, the glorious outworking of God's grace, bringing people from death to life into his kingdom. Uh, the, the, that body of people who, uh, who grow upwards in love for God, under his, trained by his word. That body who grow out in love for the world. But in many ways, this, this question of church's relationship the, with each other, the growing in, it's, the, I think, the most tangible, the most tangible, the most direct, and the most likely to raise deep issues for us of the, th of, of the three different sort of directions we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Um, we can get on board with growing up in maturity, um, be very sort of, you know, on board with that, I want to grow in maturity, I want to know God's word well. Uh, we can kind of skip over the bit uh, in Ephesians we looked at about how that happens in community. But, you know, we can, we can sort of uh, get on board with that. We can get on board with evangelism, especially if we're more task-focused, sort of project-oriented people. Okay, we've got a job to do, let's go. You know, we can get on board with evangelism. But the day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year, living with other people, uh, it can be hard, can't it? We can get Jesus, we can get mission, but long relationships with actual people, when I'm so broken, when I'm so selfish, when everyone else is as well, and we sort of might be exposed in our brokenness and selfishness. Really? Well, is hell other people, friends? Is hell other people? The incredible thing that we find when we look at the story of the Bible, is it says exactly the opposite. Uh, it says that heaven is other people. Heaven is other people. The end of the story of the world. Uh, Revelation, this wonderful scene in Revelation 7, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Heaven, not he hell is in other people, heaven is other people. 
And what we see so strikingly in this reading from 1 John that we just heard, what we see so incredibly is that this isn't just pie in the sky when you die, okay? It's not just some future hope, some future reality that doesn't have any significance today. Creating this new community as a foretaste of that is central to the work of God in this world. Is central to the work of God. Is at the heart of what God is on about. It's so important, friends. It gets to the gritty, lived experience of being a Christian. Life, our life together. You can know all the right theology. You can be an impressive evangelist. But if you don't get this right, life in Christ with each other here and now, God's word says that you you don't know God. Uh, to use Paul's very famous words in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, it's, it's sort of a, uh, can be used in weddings and maybe glossed over a bit, but it is one of the most incredible things ever written, 1 Corinthians 13, to use his words, if you do all those impressive things, you, you know all the rights, you, can, you, you speak in the tongues of men, and you you can do all, you can have all knowledge, you can have a faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol. You're, you're, he, actually, he, he says you're nothing. So, friends, this is uh, important, isn't it? This is so central, so significant for us to think a little bit deeply about this morning, and God willing, that's what we will do together as we look at this really wonderful passage from 1 John 4. If you have your Bible open, please do follow along. We're reading through 1 John 4 to see what the Apostle says about the reality of this here today. Among, not just in theory, not just sort of out there, but within us as this body of Christ together, gathered together under the Lord Jesus if you, if you have your hand out there, as Steve mentioned, there's an outline there as well um, that can help you as we sort of travel through this passage. We need, we need to think about love, okay? We're going to think about love this morning. And uh, the first thing that we see as we kind of come to John's letter, this, this incredible passage about love, uh, is that we need to start where he starts. John starts, he doesn't start with telling Christian people to love one another. Well, he does, sorry, he does, but that's not the logical start. It's sort of where he starts. But the logical start, what's underlying it all? Where's the place that we need to start? God's love. God's love. His love. Love comes from God. And you see in your outline there, verses 7 to 8, the source of love. Love comes from God because God is love. God is love. This is incredible, isn't it? He doesn't just say God is loving as if sort of it's part of you know, who he is. He says something even deeper than that, that at the core of who God is, is love at the core of who he is, at his essence. All his acts and works are an expression and outworking of his love. Uh, There is a striking, really important implication, I think, of this. And it is that God doesn't love, God's love, sort of apart from everyone else's, 
God doesn't love from a need or a lack within himself. He loves in his own fullness and his own freedom because he is love. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, in a great book called The Four Loves, if you want to sort of think a bit more about what love is, uh, that would be a great place to start. He says, In God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. What a wonderful image that is. Because God is love. He is the source of love. Well, if this is so central to who God is, and it's so central to who he is shaping his people into, what does this love look like? What does this love of God look like? And that's what, um, that's what as we move on, uh, the next uh, thing on your outline there, uh, that's what Paul, uh, John moves on to. Uh, not only is God the source of love because he himself is love, but John shows us the ultimate expression of God's love, the ultimate expression. And it's there, isn't it? Verse 9 to 10, wonderful words. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the focal point of God's love, the, outward, the expression, the, the, the full expression of God, the ultimate expression, the historic, the, the historic reality of Jesus, the person, the concrete expression of God's love that we might live through him. And friends, do you see what that means? Do you see what, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that, that this God loves you? Have you ever heard someone say, you know, how can God love me when all this stuff's happened in my life? <laughs> How can God love me when I've got all this stuff in my life at the moment? How do, you, how do you know? It doesn't say here that God shows his love for you by giving you a pain-free life, does it? God showed. He has expressed. He has given his love to you in the Lord Jesus, in his death and resurrection the Christian gospel declares not that, God will not that God will love you in some way that we invent, in a way that we would you know, sort of make up ourselves. Not the Christian gospel declares that God has already loved you perfectly, completely, in sending his own beloved son to die for you, to take the penalty for your sin, your rejection of God, that deserves death, to take that on himself freely to give you life? The question of whether God loves you has once and for all finally been settled, friends. <laughs> he has loved you. He has answered that question at the cross of Jesus. Well, what else could we possibly say? You are loved by the God of the universe. I am loved by the source of all love. You're not loved because you're lovable. 
You are loved because God is love, and his love makes you lovely, <laughs> not anything within yourself. And it's worth pausing, friends, isn't it? How deeply do we grasp the, God, the love of God for us? How deeply do you grasp this love of God for you? Personal, freeing, empowering, self-giving, joyful love. For you personally, it's incredible. Uh, it is incredible. And what else can we say? Well, on one level, you kind of think, you know, we should probably stop there. But the apostle doesn't stop there. Did you see this? this uh, they're actually, amazingly, incredibly, there is something else to say. There is more to say than this. This is God's love for us. And John opens this incredible reality for us in this, these verses. This breathtaking thing that he says here. This is God's love for us. And it is our love for each other as well. It's not just God's love for me, for you, for us. This same love, this same love expressed at the cross is our love for each other. And so you see there in verse 11 to 16, not only do we, is God the sort of source of all love because he is in himself love, not only is, do we have the ultimate expression of God's love in the cross, his love continues continues to work itself out. It has an ongoing effect and expression in the world. Verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. If you, um, uh, that sort of uh, uh, rings a few bells of the, the Old Testament. We chatted about that in our home group a little bit on, on Friday, this idea that in the Old, and particularly if you look up Exodus 33, later the Exodus 33, verse 20, incredible image of the unseeability. You know, the un, he says, uh, God is utterly holy. God says, no one may see me and live. No one may see me and live. Unapproachable light. Utterly holy. No one has ever seen it. Um, John's Gospel, the John who wrote these words here, just sort of park that for a minute, but if you might remember at the start of John's Gospel, John said the same thing. He said, no one has ever seen God, but... the one and only Son, who is himself God and who is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Has made him known. Jesus makes this holy God known. He brings together the holiness and the love of God, but there's more here, isn't there? Here, the people he died for, this body, the church, when they love each other like God has loved them, God lives in them and his love is made complete in them. It's a, it's a stunning thing to say. The holy God is made known <laughs> among his people who love each other in this unworldly kind of a way, in this gospel-shaped, cross-centered kind of a way. 
this new community of unworldly love. And it's not up to us. Uh, It's not, in the end, up to us. Verse 13, uh, he has given us of his spirit. It is through the work of God's spirit in us that we acknowledge in verse 15 that Jesus is the Son of God, that we, that we know that Jesus is the ultimate outworking of God's love. Okay, friends, well, this is this community, this God's new community of love, um, flowing from the source of love, God himself, uh, uh, built upon the foundation of God's ultimate expression of his love for you, the cross, and outworking itself through the ages in his church, his people gathered together. Friends, we just want, I just want to spend a little bit of time in the last little section here uh, that, that John writes about from verse 17 onwards because I think there is something very, uh, really just profound for us. We've seen this sort of, on one level, in theory thing going on. You know, of course, if this is who God is, if this is what he's done for you in Christ, uh, if this is true that God is made known he lives among his people when they love each other like this. If that's all true, well then, how do we, you know, how do, we do it? <laughs> how, do we, how do we enter into this? What's, how do we go, how, how do we as a community um, embody this love? How do we um, make it play out in our own relationships together? I think that's what John's getting at here in this last section. And I, and I just want us to think a little bit about uh, it, because I, I do think that, um, yeah, there's some really important stuff. Uh, verse 17, from fear, I've, I've titled it, From Fear to Love, okay? This is where we want to go, from fear, and we'll explore that a little bit. Um, so verse 17 says, This is how God's, our love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Uh, I think what that's getting at is it, John's saying, this is the goal, right? This completeness, this sort of mature, the word can kind of, kind of mean maturity of love, the kind of solid, robust, complete, mature love. This is how that happens among you. Uh, this is the goal, being like Jesus in this world, being like Jesus in this world. But then in verse 18, he introduces this barrier. The barrier to our love is fear. This is so true and I think so important. Our fear can drive, I mean, um, I'm just astounded, sort of trying to think through a little bit this week about my own relationships. It's astounded how much fear drives me and drives us all. Fear is just such a powerful motivator, isn't it? We fear, we fear being hurt. We fear being judged. Uh, I so often uh, let fear get hold uh, of me. Uh, the judgments of others on me become my God, you know, my idol. Uh, I, I, I trust I'm not alone here, okay, friends? <laughs> I trust I'm not. I know I'm not, actually. I don't relate with the kind of assured confidence and calm presence uh, that would come if I was living in the love of God, but with a kind of anxiety and nervousness. I remember um, sort of recognising this perhaps for the first time, a long time ago, years ago, when 
I was working in a school and did something stupid and got absolutely roasted by the... Well, it wasn't actually that bad, but to me it was this absolute roasting by my boss, okay? And just, uh, I just... But the effect it had on me, and I, as I look back, it wasn't actually that bad. It was sort of a slap on the wrist. But the, the effect it had on me was totally out of proportion to what actually happened. I don't know if, the, if you've sort of had similar experiences where you sort of get the adrenaline going, you, you can feel it in your body and you, you, know, you, you, you have this deep impact of the, the judgments of other people on you. They become your idol. And when your idols are threatened, you're fearful. You are fearful. And do you see, friends, how that stops love? You see how that stops love? Fear turns your attention on yourself. Doesn't it? We're focused on ourselves. We focus on protecting ourselves. But it's not just... I mean, it's worse than that, it seems to me. Even our good deeds are so often driven by fear. (laughs) Even, Even the good things we do. We can serve, not out of a joyful response to God's grace, but because in the end we fear the judgments of others on us. Uh, parents, you know, uh, classic me here, pour, you know, it, it's entirely possible, parents, for parents to pour themselves out for their kids, not out of real love that's focused on their kids' sort of needs, but in the end of the day, out of fear, out of fear what other people would think of you, out of fear of your, whatever anyone else might think, out of fear that your kids might turn out to be a certain way, out of fear that you might seem to be a bad parent. Uh, it's a battle, isn't it, to consciously think, I'm not going to be driven by what others think of me, but by the love of God that he has poured out into me. At the end of the day, friends, uh, uh, we can sort of fear uh, as a motivation for so much. We can, even the good things we do can in the end be uh, driven by our idols and our fear. At the end of the day, we fear, I think, we fear to be exposed as sinners. We fear to be exposed. We fear vulnerability. We fear people knowing our brokenness. And John says this is a great barrier to our love. It's possible to be part of a church community, isn't it, and still be lonely, unloved, and unloving because of our pride and fear, because we don't want anyone to know just how broken we are. (laughs) Maybe that's just me, but no, 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 I actually, as I said before, I know it's not just me. But friends, okay. But friends, there is a barrier and it is deep within all of us. This fear that drives us, but there is hope. There is a saviour. There is someone who looks at us and sees everything about us. (laughs) And of whom we don't need to be anxious at all about his opinion of us because we know his opinion of us in Christ. 
We know his love for us expressed in Christ. The perfect love of God. John writes that perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, right? We fear being punished. We fear being punished by others. In the end, we fear being punished by God. But God's perfect love given freely in his Son obliterates punishment. There is now no condemnation. No condemnation now, I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. And so, because he first loved us, in our sin, in our brokenness, not because we're worth it, not because we deserve it, but simply because he is love, the source of love, because He has loved us perfectly. Brothers and sisters, we love each other. We love each other. Before we finish, we need to hear John's warning, though, at the end there, and I think it's appropriate for us to hear that, an appropriate warning. You see that at the end, verse 19 Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Not talking small things here. This is at the heart of the Christian life. The way that we love each other. John leaves us with this warning, and it is just stark, isn't it? If you don't love, you don't know God. Because God, because God, how could you know God who is love if you hate your brother or sister? And it's worth, isn't it, us taking stock of our love? Does your fear constantly turn your attention inwards and to be self-protective or to turn every conversation to something about you maybe practically do you find it hard to pay attention to another person uh, do you uh, are you becoming more or less approachable <laughs> uh, getting better at listening uh, or to put it perhaps uh, uh, in the way that we mentioned 1 Corinthians 13 before to put it in Paul's words uh, how are you going at being patient, at being kind? Not seeing, not envying, right? Not seeing the good that someone else has and longing for it, making it your God. Not being boastful, not being arrogant or rude. Insist, not, how are you going at not insisting on your own way all the time? Being irritable, keeping a record of wrongs. Whew. I mean, talk about... <laughs> being knocked around by God's will. All of those things. Do you see how all of those are driven by fear? Driven by fear. Envying, driven by the fear that you'll miss out. Boasting, driven by the fear that someone else might think you're not actually really good, so you sort of need to build yourself up. Insisting on your own way because you fear that you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll miss out. <laughs> you'll fear that you won't get what you want. 
keeping a record of wrongs because you fear you'll be hurt again. There is one love that drives out fear. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful to, you know, over time, by God's grace, over a long time for us, we're so slow, but wouldn't it be wonderful to have our fears driven out? There is one love that drives out fear, the perfect love of God, and the more we soak ourselves in it, the more we know it, the more we rejoice in it, the more we will find our love for each other shaped by it. We won't fear missing out, so we'll be able to give ourselves freely. (laughs) We won't fear the judgments of others, so we'll be able to say a loving but difficult thing. We'll know that that God is our judge, and in Christ he has accepted us fully into his family, And we'll know that we are not the judge of other people, so we won't keep records of wrong. Because he has wiped our record clean in Jesus. Well, friends, this is uh, John's wonderful... Well, it's from uh, the Lord through by his Spirit through John to us, this image of what it means for us to grow inwardly together as the body of Christ, to love each other as he has loved us. Um, I just want to finish very briefly by just tying the whole series together, right? We've looked at these, really what we've, we've thought about is how in all of our relationships, the gospel transforms us in our relationship up with God, our relationship out with the world and our relationships in with each other. There is this common thread, isn't there? It all comes back to the gospel. The gospel, the proclamation that Jesus is Lord and in his death and resurrection he offers forgiveness and new life to all people who would put their trust in him. The gospel is, the gospel is that word that we're trained in as we grow up in maturity, as we read it in the scriptures. The gospel is what compels us to go out Uh, to ring out this message to the South Coast. And the gospel, it's the gospel that shapes our life together. Uh, And they all sort of work together beautifully, don't they? I mean, on one level, uh, it's a little bit arbitrary or artificial or something to separate them out. But they're all interlinked with each other, right? As we grow up, we, we we will grow out and we will grow in if we're doing that under the gospel We'll witness to Christ more deeply the more we we mature. Our unworldly Christ-shaped love for each other will be what draws people to see the love of God in action. Um, And this has played out. This has played out um, through church history. There is a (laughs) uh, through the early church, particularly. It was the Christians' love for each other uh, that made them stand out from the world. (laughs) Made this, uh, from a world in which people uh, really lived by fear, the Christian's love born out of the gospel just shone into the darkness of their times. And it can be the same for us, friends. Um, 
we've come a long way. We've talked about a lot of things. I, I think we need to pray now as we finish up. Can I do that for us? Uh, there's, uh, yeah, let's pray together as we continue to reflect on God's love for us. Our Heavenly Father, um, we do know the, the weakness of our own love, the way in which we are so often driven by fear. Father, help us to respond to that, not with a kind of guilt-ridden anxiety, nor with a, a kind of pride that, um, that says we can fix it ourselves, uh, if only we just try harder. Help us to respond to our own lack of love by always looking at and coming back to your incredible, overflowing, overwhelming, eternal love for us in Christ. Lord, may that love, uh, may that be the theme of Trinity South Coast. May that be what uh, motivates us to grow up in our knowledge and love of you and may it be what drives us to share your love with the, the world around us. And Lord, may it transform our love with each other. Lord, keep us, keep us from being driven by fear. Help us, each of us, Father, to know the absolute security that's ours in Christ. And Lord, over time, shape us into that sort of community that doesn't, uh, doesn't relate out of fear, but has our fears driven out by your perfect love and is shaped more and more by it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.